Hello, everybody, and welcome to Public Safety Technology. I am your host, Dan Wright, and we appreciate you tuning in and learning about public safety technology and innovation and the things to come in the public safety world. Today, we are joined by Ms. Tracy Eldridge, who has currently started her own company, On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge, formerly of Rapid SOS and also a public safety telecommunicator. We hope that you'll enjoy today's episode and we ask that you please, please share this with anyone in public safety that may benefit from our program and content. Thank you for listening and let's get started. All right, so today we are joined by Ms. Tracy Eldridge. I am uh, very honored and lucky to have such a distinguished guest on our podcast today. So good morning, Tracy. How are you? Please. Good morning, Dan. How are you? I'm doing <laughs> that, was a, that was a little over the top. Uh, well, you know, nothing like a little uh, dramatization to start the new year off right, correct? I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm wicked excited. <laughs> so I did the intro. I recorded the intro yesterday and I was like, I should throw in a wicked in the intro, but I didn't do your thunder, so. Well, you you knew I was going to say it at at some point. It's just a thing. Like I don't even know where that came. Like it's so funny that I've I've just said the word my entire life, but when I started traveling around the country, like they just want to hear it. It's like a weird uncle trick at a party or something. <laughs> it's your it's your signature now. You, apparently, if, you, apparently. if you don't if you don't use it, everybody's going to wonder what's wrong with Tracy. Oh, they do. They do. I did a training for Illinois. I did an online training somewhere else. And like in the comments, they're like, wicked, 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 wicked. I'm like, that's my signature. <laughs> it could be worse. So, I, guess. Uh, I hope you had a good holiday season. Uh, we're, we're recording this in between Christmas and New Year's. So uh, here's to uh, closing out 2020 into a better 2021 for everybody. Oh, please, please. I saw the funniest meme the other day and it said, if you think about how we're going to say the next year, like verbally say it, 2021. So like 2021, W-O-N. Like it won. It beat us. Like yeah. it, it totally beat us. There is no <laughs> question about it. So if there was a year that was going to beat everybody, it was it was 2020. So I'll be happy to see it. Yeah, we, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's had their own experience and. Some are, are much worse off than others, but I know I'm blessed and uh, living in paradise and getting to live out my dreams. So, but let's, uh, let's talk about your public safety journey, Tracy. Let's uh, go from the top and just for those that may be learning of you for the first time, let's, let's talk about how you got to where you are. Yeah, so it was a long road. Um, I'll try to shorten it up a little bit, but uh, so I when I was younger, I wanted to be a nurse. And, you know, I can remember as long, as far back as, as I can remember, I wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to help people. And I went to a vocational school here in my hometown and I took the nursing class, like, you know, the, the health careers. And one thing that I realized is they did not expose us to emergency medicine. And I found out later in my life that, Apparently, I'm an adrenaline junkie, and and bringing a student who I know now had some issues with ADHD to a nursing home, 
um, it just wasn't my thing. And, and I got bored very quickly and it, it just didn't seem like the passion was there that I had when I was, when I was younger, I guess I envisioned it differently. So I go to college I'm, I'm not sure what I want to be at this point, but I knew that nursing in a nursing home or in a low pace environment was, was just not for me. So I go get my associates in just pre-professional stuff. And then my dad says, Hey, why don't you be a police officer? So he was a police officer in Boston for many years. He retired the year that I was born. And, um, he started doing other things, but he, he loved his job being a police officer. So I'm like, Oh, maybe I could do that. And while I was in college, I had a job in health careers at Sears, which was really funny because I look back on it now. And I think to myself, I would be the last person chasing some random stranger who just like stole stuff. Like I would be so afraid of that. Given oh, so that, of my... that was their, that was their security. That's their security. Yeah. And I remember like literally chasing people out of the store that just stole a, a pile of dockers. And these were people that could have <laughs> guns and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm afraid of my own shadow these days. <laughs> there is no way I could do that job. Um, but I, I did love it. And then once I, I started my bachelor's degree, uh, it was going to be in criminology or a sociology degree with a concentration on criminology. And I went to be a police officer. So I went to a couple of the towns around me, my town, the town next to me, Freetown. And I asked if they were hiring police officers and they weren't at the time, but they were hiring a dispatcher. And at the time I'm like, what's a dispatcher? And she, the uh, woman that hired me, Sue Joe, said, well, basically, you know, folks will call 911 when they have an emergency and then you dispatch the police and the fire and the EMTs. And I'm like, oh, this could be cool. And, and maybe I'll do that to get my foot in the door, as many people say, right. as right. you know. Um, so I started dispatching in Freetown. Eventually, I started working part-time in Rochester, which is where I live and where I ultimately lived out my dispatch career. Um, and I was working both places part-time. And during that process, I had been working with the fire department and, and really got involved in just all things public safety. It's, it's almost like I drank the Kool-Aid, right? Like I, I immersed myself in this profession and I realized that I, I no longer wanted to be a police officer early on, like almost like the first night um, I was on my own. But there were a couple of things that I realized. One, I didn't want to chase people around in the middle of the night that could potentially have firearms. And two, if somebody was going to pay me to talk for a living, like, yeah, that is exactly <laughs> where I want to be. So my public safety career basically took me from being a dispatcher to um, a call firefighter and an EMT, ultimately got my paramedic, um, held on to that for quite some time, but didn't really utilize the skill. So I dropped back down to being an EMT, which I still am today, and then became the chief dispatcher in Rochester, uh, spent about 20 years in my 9-1 center, and then I had reached a point where it was time to move on and and... Yeah, so I left in 2016 and headed on over to Rapid SOS. So that's how I got almost here. Great, great story, Tracy. Great story. And uh, you know, before before we hop into the Rapid SOS part, uh, you know, 
everybody always asks, how do you know when it's time? And, and, and you, you mentioned you just knew. And, you know, I've been there before in, in a couple of things. And, you know, everybody that, that looks up to, to those of us, like you, you and myself, and, and they want to know, well, how do you know? And it's impossible to describe that feeling that you have when you just know. And, and it is just that. You, you just know. And I remember, so, um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this at some point, but I left because of PTSD and I'm very vocal about my journey with PTSD for a couple of reasons. One, it helps me heal. Um, two, I know that it helps others. And I had got to a place where I was being harassed by the people that were supposed to be my leadership team. And they weren't in public safety. It was, it was town government. Um, so I answered to a town manager who ultimately answered to a board of selectmen and that town manager had, had turned on me. And, you know, for three years I had endured some pretty bad treatment. Um, I, I look back on it and I thank God for it because I know that it was all part of his plan, um, to get me to be where I am doing exactly what I'm doing, but it was like, did it have to be that challenging? <laughs> right. Uh, like, uh. um, so I remember coming home from work three times a week. Like I'm done. I'm done. Like I'm not doing this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And my husband's like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, Heard that before. Yeah. Were well, you going to do something about it? Or are you just going to get, it's like, come home the next day. I'm done. I'm done. And, and I remember the day that I came home and I knew, like, I knew I was, I was done. Um, it was almost a different feeling. It was, it was a feeling of peace where I had finally accepted. And I, and at the time I would say I accepted defeat. Like it was like, oh, you got what you wanted. I'm leaving. Um, but when I look back on it now, it was, it was Finally, I listened to all of the signs versus ignoring them and thinking that things were going to get better for me there and, you know, trying to get myself better, but my environment wasn't changing. And I just knew, like, like I, I was looking for all kinds of videos, right? So we start looking for videos and it's like, how do you leave your job that you love and, and all these things? And I will never forget stumbling upon the video, Why Quit by Brendan Burchard. And he's a self-help guy. I, I was listening to a lot of his videos, but this random video popped up, Why Quit? And in the video, he said, if you're looking for the sign, that's the sign. <laughs> like right, the fact right. that you're looking for the sign, like I need a sign to tell me it's okay. I need a sign. Am I making the right decision? Am I supposed to be doing this? If you're looking for the sign, like literally that's the sign. And it was in that moment where I was like, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. And there was some irony there because as soon as I came home and I sat down calmly um, with my husband and and explained what had happened that particular day and that I needed to be done because it was affecting me physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, I was I was failing as a wife. I was failing as a parent. I was I was failing as a chief dispatcher. Like I was fried, and my people were starting to suffer. 
from it and they were taking the brunt of it and and I was taking things out on them that was being done to me and and I just knew that that I had had enough and so my husband and I had a long conversation and he says do what you got to do and the next day I started making phone calls and I called Tony Harrison. I teach for Tony Harrison in the public safety group. Um, I was doing that part-time and I said, Tony, can I, can I do more classes? Like my goal was to just get my salary and um, to get my mortgage paid. Like at that point, I didn't care if I had to eat ramen noodles. I didn't care if, you know, I had to eat the 37 expired things in my, you know, pantry. I just needed to be able to separate. And, and a lot of people have the mentality, like, I can't leave where I'm at because I'm not, I'm not going to find what I'm making now. And that's a huge piece right there is that I, at that point, I didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care if I took a half a salary pay cut. I had to go. Yeah, I think those of us in these roles, especially in dispatch and, and public safety altogether, because it takes a type A personality a lot of times to do this job. And, you know, we, we get into this mindset and this, it's really a lack of a situational awareness for ourselves uh, that, that we don't realize where we are mentally. Yep. And we think that there's always more that we need to do, more that we have to do. There's things that we want to do. And so often that we forget ourselves and, you know, you, you describe the situation very eloquently and in, in saying that, you know, you just know. And it's like, like I started with this, this topic with, uh, when, when you get to a point of you're willing to accept those things internally that will change your outlook and your mindset, that's, that's when, you know, and, and it really was in, you know, when I look back on, I was a good boss. Like I, I, if you had the majority of my staff on here, they'd tell you that I was I was a good boss. I tried to be a good boss, but you could very clearly see over time that I was starting to become really controlling, which was weird. Um, I guess I get we're controlling anyway in this in this profession, but it was different. It was almost like an obsessive controlling uh, because there were so many things that were happening to me that were out of my control that I was trying to just control everything that I could. I was crying all the time. Um, I was separating myself in social environments and those of you that know me like to know that I would have rather stayed at home in bed versus going out and being with people was you know those should have been very big red flags that were were going up and you know my husband was so extremely supportive my kids were so supportive but they didn't have to it didn't have to get to the place that it did or maybe it did because I how am I going to help people and get them to understand what they're going through if I didn't go through it myself, right? Exactly. And, you know, especially those of us in the dispatch world, well, I, and I think pretty much any technical field that you're in, you know, uh, our mindset is so often, well, how can you, how can you tell me what to do if you haven't experienced it? You don't know right. what I'm going through. Right. And, you know, uh, on, on the mental health aspect of it, I think in, in public safety, me being from the fire service and from 911, uh, we, we often struggle with getting help because our mindset is, well, nobody understands. They, right. they'll, they'll never understand what I'm going through because they haven't experienced it. 
And I think the irony there too was I had been teaching a class that I wrote for Tony. Um, the, the, the class that I teach for Tony on this, the title of it is How to Save a Life, Yours. And I've been teaching that class for 10 years. It's still available. Folks can request it. But the irony of that was I was teaching people, you know, the tools and the things that they needed to do to take care of themselves. And I've said this a million times is I was the carpenter whose house wasn't finished. I was the plumber with the leaky faucet. I was the mechanic whose car kept breaking down. Like I knew exactly what I had to do. I knew for the most part what was happening, um, but I just put the blinders on and, and I put the earmuffs on and it was like, nope, this isn't happening. How am I supposed to help other people if I'm not even helping myself, you hypocrite? Right. So would you say, uh, because I experienced this a little myself, uh, would you, would you say that you were so driven to help other people and, and you, you had this, well, I know I did. I had this mindset that if I do more for others, then I'll help myself. 100%. And, and then in hindsight, because I wasn't taking care of myself, it, I was just lying to myself. It yeah. was this big facade that I had put up. I, like you said, the, I was the, the landscaper with the knee-high grass and the <laughs> overgrown shrubs. And, you know, until you get to that, I guess, breakdown point, and, and I can't say it enough that as an individual, you'll just know. Uh, and you take a step back and we go, oh, okay. I think I'm doing so much good, but am I really helping? I'm just, I'm just like a broken record, just repeating the same thing over and over again. Well, and, and I, I think I, that, I, I think, I think when I look back, yeah, I was, I was 100% doing that. Like folks would be like, oh my God, you helped me. Like, thank you for allowing me to see that. And I would walk out of a class feeling icky. Like, okay, how about you practice what you preach? How about you actually do the things that you're sharing with other people to do? And when I look back on those experiences, I would just feel that for a little bit. And then I'd go right back into these kind of negative behaviors and, and routines. Like I was really hard on myself. Um, I talked down to myself all the time. But one of the things that I'm doing now that's different than before was I was so and I guess I could say obsessed. I was so committed to people only seeing the positive sides of me that that's all I would let them see is they would see the smile. They would see the happy. They would see the fun. They wouldn't see the days where I couldn't get out of bed. They wouldn't see the days where, you know, I would sit there and just binge eat crap because, you know, it made me feel better. They wouldn't see the days that, you know, I... I got to a place where I thought the world would be better off without me. They didn't see that part of me. So when I started sharing my PTSD story, there were a lot of, oh, what the hell moments for people. Like, right. I had no idea that you were going through that. And it's like, yeah, because I didn't let you see it. Because how could I be helping people in my job as a dispatcher, in my job as the chief chief dispatcher, as a firefighter EMT, how could I sit in the back of an ambulance and, and talk to somebody about the finality of the suicide attempt when I thought had those thoughts myself? Like that, to me, it was such hypocritical behavior. But when I started sharing my story, this time I was going to do it differently. This time I'm going to show them the good, the bad, and the ugly. So if you follow me on social media, 
you'll see there's days that I can't get out of bed. You'll see that there's days that I'm struggling, but there's a difference. I know when I can kind of handle it on my own versus when I need to start bringing in some of the tools and resources that I've put in my toolbox to get me through those days. And, you know, for me, and, and I, I know it's not this way for everybody, but for me, once you realize how easy that is, it's, it's not hard. It's, it's right. not hard to make that realization and to know that it's okay not to be okay. Yep. Yep. So. And I think what's, what's has been super helpful for me is learning what things knock me down. I'm not going to lie. Like I'm not going to say, Oh yeah, I'm in recovery from PTSD and that I'm never going to be affected again. No, absolutely not. There are going to be triggers that come up that I didn't even know were triggers that I'll identify. There are things that I'll question like, Whoa, why am I acting like that? All right. Clearly there was something that triggered me. Let's go figure out what that was. Let's get that processed. And then that isn't going to happen again. So one of my biggest treatments or honestly, the treatment that got me from such a dark place, the, the place where I was full of fear, panic, and anxiety, um, and was having really dark thoughts on a, on a fairly regular basis. And, and, you know, part of me, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do it. But there was a day that I was like, no, I think, I think this might be that day. And I was disassociated. I didn't even know what was happening. I couldn't see clearly. I couldn't feel clearly. And when I had disassociated and those thoughts were going through my brain, it wasn't until my child came in the house yelling something because, you know, she's loud just like me, but she comes bebopping in her, her happy go lucky self. And it was like, it snapped me out of this thought process. And, and I think it's important to share that because so many people tell us, Oh, if you're suffering, reach out, reach out. I'm here to tell you that we can't. When you are in that moment, you are not thinking to yourself, oh, Dan Wright told me to reach out if I'm if I'm struggling. Wait, let me pick up the phone and call him. We don't, you don't or if I call Dan, he's gonna see me as a weakness and a failure and he's gonna tell me to just go ahead and go through with it because you're not worth anything. That's yeah, that's, or it's not that bad. Head or you know it's not that bad and and you know and think less of me well the piece i i want to change that narrative you know i do want people to reach out if they know that things are changing cuz you know things are changing like you know you're like why am i crying all the time that's a change that you can see but there are times that we can't reach out so let's let's try as as a society to get better at reaching in, uh, you know, when I see somebody that has taken their life on social media, I'll see posts, you know, and there have been folks that I know that have taken their own life. And, and when I go back and I look at their posts, it's like, uh, how did we miss this? How did we miss it? Right. And there's a lot of times that I will just randomly text people. I'll just shoot them a quick message, whether it's just a little heart or I, when COVID first started, I remember there was this wicked, cute cookie monster emoji that it was just like, he just popped his head in and he's like, Hey, just check in on you. And I can't even tell you the response that I got back from that. It was like, Hey, thanks. Because in that moment you just reached in and you have no idea what somebody's going through. And just a simple gesture like that may have been that part where my daughter came be bopping in yelling something silly 
right. and and bring them back to reality and be like, oh wait, I am cared for and valued. Right. So let's uh, base, you know, let's build off of what we've uh, went down this rabbit hole on, and let's talk about uh, your new venture, <laughs> Tracy. Let's uh, tell us all about. Yeah. On scene first. Yeah. So um, many of you know that I've been with Rapid SOS for the last four years. And if you don't know what Rapid SOS is, uh, I'm going to need you to to check out the website or, or reach out to me still. I'm doing a lot of uh, really cool work still with Rapid SOS. Um, but we were able to successfully um, partner with Apple and Google about two and a half years ago now where they agreed to send us device-based location uh, from wireless devices. And, and I think one of the other, you know, benefits for me is when, when Michael Martin came and offered me the job with Rapid SOS, I honestly thought that we were just going to be solving the location challenge. And, and, and that, was when, me, that was when you were talking about his crap app, right? Yes, his crap <laughs> app. Yes, I didn't, I've never called it that. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that for sure. So um, that was actually four years ago was, was right, right. you know, yeah, that, that was, and, that and was and prior I, to the job offer conversation. With. Yeah. And, and I joke about it. He knows I joke about it, but that flipping app, it saved some lives. Right. And like, I was in this, I was in this mindset of like, no, you cannot solve the 911 location issue with an app, you foolish little boy. And, um, <laughs> Well, let me tell you that that uh, CEO right there had had a lot of drive and mission, and and I believed in him when he told me uh, four years, four and a half years ago now that that they wanted me to come work for them because I was clearly passionate about what they were doing wrong, um, and they wanted my help to to do this thing right, and I am very proud of the contribution that I made to changing the 9-1 industry for the first time in a, a really, really long time. Um, so we partnered with Apple and Google, provide device-based hybrid location. My role at Rapid SOS was the community engagement manager for public safety. So basically, I was the rah-rah sisboomba. <laughs> like, you were the cheerleader. I was the cheerleader, right? So it was like critic turned cheerleader. It's the best love story, right? So. We could probably Over. make a lifetime movie out of that. Oh, we totally could. We <laughs> totally could. And um, so over the last four years, we have grown tremendously. So so we first have the ability to help solve the location issue. Now we're, I say we, because I'm, I'm still part of it. Like I'll, I'll share in a second about, you know, what, what they're doing for me um, in this new endeavor, but I will always believe in what Rapid SOS did. And the funniest part was when I announced that I was leaving, I can't even tell you how many people reached out and they were like, what happened? What did they do to you? Why are you leaving Rapid SOS? And I'm like, it's good. It's all good. And they're like, no, that's going to be a story. No, it's good. I'm telling you, it's positive. Um, because they think people associate you leaving somewhere with it has to be negative. And, you know, I decided a little while ago, it's been floating around in my head, but there was a different feeling for me when I would go to conferences. And so I built this amazing network across the US, you being one of those folks. Um, early on, you were, you were one of those folks early on, we had lots of conversations. 
But I built this trust first, and then I started building these relationships. And these relationships with 911 professionals across the U.S. was just meant the world to me. And what I've learned about myself over the last few years is through some training and personal coaching is, is I know this is going to be hard to believe, but I am an extroverted people person. Like <laughs> that's, that's who I am. Right. Um, and a lot of the stuff that, that we do at rapid SOS is very um, task and results driven. And while Rapid SOS was super supportive of me and my endeavor to help telecommunicators on the, the mental health part of the equation. Uh, I, I realized, I started feeling a little while ago that I think I need to do that more. So I loved what I was doing at Rapid SOS, but I felt like I needed to kind of flip that script. And I felt like I needed to be doing more of the people things to fill my cup every day. Um, and when I went to my boss, I you know, had a long conversation with her and she was sad to say the least that, that, that I was gonna consider leaving. I had a conversation with Michael, the CEO, and both of them were super supportive. So now let's look at what I'm about to do. So they're like, well, what are you gonna do? And I'm like, I have no idea. I just know that I'm being led to do this. So back in January, I had started just a podcast, a podcast that Rapid SOS had um, given me as one of my duties, which I thought was really cool, is the podcast On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge was born in my head back in January. Um, but by the time COVID hit and all that, there was a lot that I had to learn on my own because I was supposed to have some help from folks in the city, but I couldn't get there. So I had to learn a lot on my own. And, and as I started learning this stuff, I was really excited and passionate about it. I was like, this is a, an amazing opportunity for me to not only talk about new technology and being open to new technology in the 91 space, but I can also talk about mental health. So my motto or I guess my catchphrase for On Scene First is saving lives on both sides of the call. And I was given that opportunity by Rapid SOS. I was truly appreciative. But as soon as I started really focusing on that stuff, I realized that it might be time for me to go out on my own. And with a wing and a prayer, I, I talked to my boss and I talked to Michelle and I said, you know, I, I know that you guys gave me this opportunity for the podcast, but I, I do feel like there are a lot of ways that I want to take it. And I don't know if it's going to align with those tasks and results that Rapid SOS need, but I want you guys to be a part of it and I want you to support it. And so basically what was born out of that is I took another leap of faith. So just like when I left the 911 center, I jumped and my parachute opened with Rapid SOS and they have been super supportive. So what is on scene first now? So on December 18th, I worked my last shift at Rapid SOS as a full-time employee. Um, they are now the premier sponsor of my podcast. Um, so they're supporting, they're super supportive of the podcast, both, you know, with anything that I need and financially, which is amazing. And On Scene First is also 
um, training. So I still teach for Tony Harrison in the public safety group. And some folks are a little confused. They're like, oh, well, you're teaching for Tony, but you're also offering classes for on-scene first. The on-scene first piece of it for me is all of the things that I have built in my toolbox. So my PTSD was, was born from icky people. <laughs> so that's the only way I can put it. I mean, I could put it other ways, but then you'd have to bleep stuff out. But um, I realized that I was having a lot of struggles with certain personalities. And again, everything happens for a reason. So two years ago, I was not in the best place mentally. I was struggling with some really tough personalities that had, had been brought into my life. Um, as a company, Rapid SOS was growing very quickly. And we, you know, we had lots of personalities that were, were coming in. And, and again, when you're an extroverted people person versus an introverted task person or an extroverted task person, there can be some challenges. So while I was struggling with how to navigate through some of these relationships, I met Gord McFarland and he at the time was with Coaching to Connect and he did this presentation to us as a Rapid SOS team and it focused on the DISC um, assessment model for personalities. And in the training that I took two years ago this January, that was yet another tool that I put in my toolbox very quickly and almost I wanted to absorb every piece of it because what I learned through that training class and then a five-day uh, workshop that I went to on my own and then one-on-one -on -one coaching that I've continued to do with Gord for the last two years is we need this type of training in 911 centers because not only did it teach me about myself and, and it showed me that the things that I had been criticized the majority of my life from these really harsh personalities were, you know, you're, you're too emotional, you're too sensitive, you're too loud, you talk too much. These were all things that were, were really negative. Um, and they did a number on me. And I don't know why people think that they can just talk to people like that, but they do. And it really chipped away at my self-esteem in a big way. Um, and then I soon became, be, start becoming this introverted people person. And that's not fair to me because I don't get to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. So with Gord, with the mental health push, with poor leadership, my training on the on-scene first side is really focused and directed on assessing the people in the 911 center and providing training specific to the people that are in each center. And then with that, it's an opposite evaluation that the employees will do on the leadership team. And I think one of the things that I'm seeing as I'm already starting to book out contracts, which has been amazing, I'm so excited, um, is something that I'm seeing is the folks that are reaching out to me and wanting this type of assessment and training are true leaders. They're, they're true pe they're people that want things better in their 911 centers. What I often see is 
leaders will bring in training and they'll be like, they'll put their people in it, but they won't sit in the class themselves. So they'll bring in some type of training to help their people get along better or, you know, teach them how to do this, but they, but they themselves won't sit in the class. And the best part about what I'm doing now is it's like, hey, you have to be a part of this too. You may be signing the contract, but I need you to be a part of the process as well, because I know you have weak spots and I know you have blind spots and I know that you're amazing in different areas. But an assessment that was done on me right before I left the 911 center sadly identified blind spots that I wish I had known years prior that I could have fixed some things in my center. So a lot of the training with On Scene First, so one, primarily the podcast, which is, which is awesome. I'm very excited to have that platform and opportunity, but also people-driven training. And anything that's like dispatch training related, I'm, I'm in the process of writing a new class. And the title of that class is, is more, it's more dispatch training. So I'm going to do that with Tony and the public safety group. And that class is when high profile calls have a higher impact. So I referred to myself as an octopus the other day. I don't know why that <laughs> popped into my head when somebody asked, what are you going to be doing? I'm like, ah, uh, a lot. Like I'm, I'm going to be doing a little of a lot. And the first thing that came to mind was an octopus. Like, so I'm going to be doing personality assessment and consulting and training and leadership consulting or assessment consulting and training, working with Tony and the public safety group. And then once I actually get back on my feet, cause I've had a little setback with some, some foot surgery and ankle surgery. Um, I'm going to get to work shifts on the ambulance again. And, and, it's just all, all of it, everything that I, I want to do that makes my heart happy. So I know that was kind of a long-winded answer, but that's how I roll. And, and there's a lot and I'm excited. No, I, so. I thought that, I mean, I thought that was perfect. Uh, it was a, a very somewhat a high level, but also in the weeds description of, of what you're looking for. And yeah. you know, I think it's definitely something needed in our industry. Uh, I, I often say that Part of the biggest issue I see in 911 is that we have a lack of leadership training. And that's not, I'm not talking about management training. We can train most anybody to be a manager, but I mean yep. true leadership training. And as leaders, we have to continue to grow and continue to reassess ourselves. Just like you mentioned, if you would have known that you were mm -hmm. lacking in some areas that you, you were willing and could have made those changes. So. Uh, you know, we're all humans. We get comfortable and we get uh, comfortable in our skin and what we're doing. And, and we're not afraid to do something different, but we sometimes just get blinded and we don't do those self-assessments that we need to do. Right. And I think you, you just, you think you're doing well. And like I said, there were so many places where I was successful and that things were positive, but over time, there were things that were just falling through the cracks and I didn't mean for that to happen. And then I remember talking to a friend of mine when I started working with Gord and um, on the disc stuff. And I was like, this is life changing for me. Like I now know that I can change my behavior in certain situations for better outcomes. So if it, it's almost like, you know, Einstein saying, right, what is the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results? Well, I kept finding myself in these places where these really aggressive 
um, to the point kind of people were steamrolling me. And when they would steamroll me, I would now be damaged or, you know, feel bad. And then I would start to retreat and, and people weren't getting the best part of me. And I was like, how fair is that? But once I realized that, so just for an example, a D personality is an extroverted task and results driven person. Like they're going to be the driver, the doer they they can be forward and, you know, direct in, in, you know, a lot of these terms that for me are very challenging. Like I'm going to sugarcoat things. I'm going to be nice. And, and that when, when there is a D personality that is like not emotionally aware of how their behavior is. So like the person I, that comes to mind is the D personality that resembles an electric wire that has snapped off the pole and is just like bouncing and taking people out in its path or, you know, leaving dead bodies in their wake. Like they have a goal, they have a task and they don't care how they speak to people. They don't care, you know, that you, you've been working on it till midnight, get it done. You know, my child's crying or I'm trying to get through the airport or things like that. It's like, it, it's those types of folks that I have a lot of challenge with. And once I learned that that type of personality does not like emotional people, I tried to be less emotional. And a friend of mine said, what, what, why are you changing who you are to suit other people? You shouldn't be changing who you are. Like, that's ridiculous. They shouldn't expect you to change who you are. And I said, nope. I said, I'm not changing who I am. I'm changing how I behave. Right. There are two very different things. And when I learned that I can make changes in my behavior to better relationships, that was my end game, is that I was going to utilize this tool to make sure that I'm getting the best out of those relationships. And there are folks that I have come in contact with that are those personalities that I talked about, but because I've been able to change my behavior, relationships that should have went south are actually really good relationships. And I'm very excited about that. And I want to teach that. It's like a, it's like a magic potion. And I think we need it in public safety. Definitely. And I, I really think that's the only way we're going to improve and increase the leadership potential of those that are coming up in the industry and, you know, as a, a point of 100% vulnerability here, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've got to increase my EQ, my emotional intelligence. That's, that's where I'm lacking. I feel the most and through some assessments I've done. So that's, that's my hope with the, you know, the, the training that I'm pursuing now is, is to increase my emotional intelligence so that I can understand that, you know, your child was up crying half the night or you were in the airport and you're, and so whatever happened, you know, so that I can be more understanding of, of those situations. So let's, uh, let's, let's take that and, and what you're doing with On Scene First, and, and let's talk about where 911's going. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I'll start off by some commentary here. Uh, we recently had the uh, unfortunate bombing in Nashville Ugh. and the 
early indications coming out or it was just, uh, you know, a, a long thing. And But one of the ironies I see out of it, some early information is indicating that the uh, attacker was uh, concerned about 5G technology and, and spying and, and what it what it's doing. And so I've been thinking about that and uh, I thought it was ironic that the the very technology that this person was supposedly against could potentially in the future help a PSAP or a 911 or a dispatch center to actually prevent that type of attack. So let's right. play out. Let's play out. We have smart cameras connected through 5G technology in a metropolitan area, and and critical infrastructure has a geofence drawn around it. And then there's this unusual activity such as a large vehicle parked in front of this facility for a predetermined amount of time that triggers a, a dispatch center or a PSAP or whatever monitoring agency to go investigate that. So I just thought that was some some true irony behind that entire event. So <clears throat> let's let's talk about some of the things that are coming in 911 uh, since this is public safety technology, but I want to also touch on the mental health aspects of that as well with your background in that and and what's your opinion and how you see mental health being affected and us in this industry having to have more emotional intelligence to deal with the things that are coming. That obviously that is a great question and, and it's and it's right up my alley because I as I mentioned, when I first started this thing with Rapid SOS, I was I was against this new technology. Like, no way, you're not. First of all, I don't like how it's being done right now, but you're not going to come in and change it. Like, again, that hypocrisy thing where it's like, nope, I don't like the way it is, but I don't want it to change either. Or, hey, here's a new tool that is free or, yeah, maybe you need to pay for it here, but it's going to change how things are done. And, and folks are putting up their hands and they're like, no, 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 we can't change things. Um, clearly, we have to change things because what we saw in Nashville was, you know, the 911 infrastructure was was derailed, right? Um and there were, I, I can't even tell you how many messages I got about the Rabbit SOS portal still being intact um, if, if they had the internet. So some folks did lose internet. So that was a challenge. But to be able to still have a piece of the technology that could be super helpful, um, those forward thinking folks were ahead of, of the game versus the folks that hadn't put this new technology in. And I think... I think the thing that we have to keep in mind is, and I can speak from experience, is that at Rapid SOS, at every technology company out there that is wanting to send any type of additional data into the 9-1 centers, they are not sitting at their desk going, hmm, let me see how I can screw with the dispatchers and make their lives miserable. They're, they're not. They're wondering how can we provide technology and infrastructure to make their job easier um, and, and maybe not have so much emotion behind it, right? So one of the things that um, I, I know is that as soon as I start thinking of certain calls, I automatically envision what happened on that scene because as my good friend Carol uh, from Virginia says, my ears have seen things that my brain will never forget. 
So I'll say that again, my ears have seen things that my brain will never forget. So how many of you, if I, so we just passed the Christmas holiday, right? If I told you, Dan, like, do not think about a Christmas tree with a white angel on top with white lights versus colored lights. Tell me you're not thinking of the exact description of that Christmas tree that I just described to you. I just saw it right in my head as you were calling it out. Yep. And imagine like doing that for every single solitary call. Now you have the opportunity to put technology in your center that may take that piece out of it where you have an emotion that's attached to an incident, right? Right. So I think when people storytell and their emotion is attached to it, I think that is where we run into a lot of challenge. But if you're reading something or looking at something, you may not be visualizing it the same way. So I think where we're going is number one, the folks in the PSAP really need to be a little bit more open to hearing what is available out there. That's, for, that's first and foremost. I, like I was not, <laughs> like I was like, nope, nope, nope. Well, how many times did I tell you I'm not doing query oh, review, Tracy? I'm not no. taking query review, Tracy. No, you're like, it's an extra step. It's going to take them more time. And I'm like, no, 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 seriously, no. Like, <laughs> it, it's like a millisecond. Like, it's only going to take them. And then once you're open to it, it's like, oh, wait a minute. And it was funny because I remember um, I joke that for the first year and a few months at Rapid SOS, I basically traveled around the country selling a free product that didn't exist yet. <laughs> And I prayed every day, like, please let Apple and Google put this in, please, please, please. Um, and when they did, the funniest part about it is, and then this, I, I, listen, I'm not going to call people out, but if they're listening, they know who they are. They know exactly who they are, is I tried to explain what this technology was going to do. Like I started reaching out to people. Yep. Totally felt like a salesman, but I'm like, no, it's free. I'm serious. Like Apple and Google are going to turn this on. And they're like, yeah, okay. Crazy lady that talks funny from Massachusetts. <laughs> and um, I just remember I kept saying it, kept saying it, kept saying it. And then in June of 2018, we were at Nina in Nashville and I woke up that morning and I just had this permanent smile on my face because I knew as soon as I walked out of my hotel room, the 9-1 industry was going to be a buzz because we had just announced at like 5.30 in the morning with Apple that they were going to turn on this amazing technology. And I just remember hearing conversations like in my periphery because, you know, my dispatcher skills are just stuck with me forever. And there was a guy that was standing behind me on the escalator and I was facing away from him. So he can't see that I have the rapid SOS shirt on heading to the rapid SOS booth to be excited about what we just announced. And I just remember hearing him talking and he said, did you hear about rapid SOS and Apple? And the guy he was talking to said something along the lines of, yeah, this is crazy. I didn't believe they were going to do it. I'm going to have to reach out to that girl that kept calling me. <laughs> And I'm like this, I'm holding, I'm holding a, a bag in front of my shirt and I'm like, I'm just laughing. And no sooner did we announce that, that our booth was flooded after the conference. I can't even tell you how many people reached out and it was like, Hey, I need this. I want this. I heard you have a free thing. And it was like, there were so many people that were already turned on to the technology 
that they were just sitting back going, now the data is going to start flowing and, and we believed in it. And then there were folks that were like, Hey, I need this. I need this. I need this yesterday. So I think if folks are a little bit more open to, to hearing, um, what's coming, there's what three words, um, I talked about on my podcast with Mark Fletcher, um, in my last episode that just launched, and then I uh, get a little bit more into detail with with Jeremy Demar on the one that will launch le- next week. Um, I'm not sure. I have, have, and I probably should ask this before, but have you met with the folks from What Three Words yet? Yes, yes, we've okay. had a conversation with uh, Ashley, and it's actually integrated into our CAD maps, and we're Love developing it. developing a rollout plan, and hope to have it fully uh, live by the time our tourist season hits because we have nice. so many waterway incident. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm, I'm actually going to be reaching out to Ashley because her name keeps, I think Ashley for what three words is like Tracy for rapid SOS. Like I keep, it is, but, but I'm talking to her first because she lives in Alabama. So just scratch that off. your All right. All right. Whatever. (laughs) Um, but no, and, and, you know, folks will ask me like, because I've built this trust network with folks that are, are like, you know, what is this? What three words thing? Like, we have rapid SOS. We don't need what three words. And I said, do you have folks in your jurisdiction that are on an Apple iOS 11? Well, I'm sure we do. Okay. Well, guess what? What three words is going to be extremely beneficial in that particular case, because you can't get the rapid SOS information from an iPhone 11. It's only iPhone 12 and higher. So I think what happens is with new technology, folks will settle for Oh, I already have it over here. Right. But there's mm-hmm. going to be an incident where that piece of technology might not work, but it will over here. Then they Some, get a frustration. Sometimes, sometimes you need a wrench instead of a screwdriver. Right. Right. Or just a hammer and smack the crap out of it. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I, I try to get folks to understand. I get it. Like if, if I'm talking to you about, whether it's rapid SOS or what three words, like I'm not on what three words payroll, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it. Um, I will tell you that I just thought it was a little bit ironic. It's actually sitting right here as, as we're speaking. And I I was looking up where my location was and you're going to die. I'm going to give them to you out of order because obviously I don't want people being, I mean, well, first of all, they're dispatchers. They could find me if they needed to, but I'm going to give you the three words, what three words, that are associate with where I'm located right now. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Disposable, disposable paramedic liver. <laughs> okay. Did disposable you, did... paramedic liver. That so you... if, if you, <laughs> I just put it in and I was like, you know, where am I? And it came up and it, and it was those three words. It wasn't in that order. I mean, I'm sure they can figure it out, but nonetheless, I was dying. I'm like, this paramedic liver how funny is that that is uh that, that is that's, that's crazy but specifically with your, with your background so yeah i mean exactly. I, I would highly I, I would highly encourage anybody not familiar with what three words to look them up and ashley cashin I'm, I'm probably butchering her last name but she is the north america contact for public safety so definitely reach out to her if uh yeah, you're interested in about it a lot and and, and so what I was saying before is I can appreciate, I can truly appreciate that one of the things that folks said when we were talking about rapid SOS and having like a separate br- browser for it, it's like, well, I want it in my CAD. Okay. Well, 
when we get it in the CAD or we get it in the CPE, there are limitations. It's just the way that it is. We can't make updates to other people's technology as quickly as we can to the web browser that is the Rapid SOS portal. So there are benefits to the portal that you don't get on an integration. And while we would love to just have one place where everything and all this amazing technology lives, you can't just flick a switch and have it that way. But are you going to be the leader like, like yourselves and, and Joby to, to go out and be like, hey, we need to put this stuff in place because I want to give them every chance to succeed. I want to give them every chance to succeed. And if this tool doesn't work, I want them to be able to open their toolbox and then try this one. And if that one doesn't work, because let me tell you, without Rapid SOS, without what three words, what are we doing? Ma'am, can you go find a piece of mail? Yep. Ma'am, can you walk out your front door and tell me what number is on? What do you see? Oh, I see trees. Okay, that narrows it down. Well, see, I mean, thank you. <clears throat> and we're not the only one, but I mean, we, we host millions of visitors a year to the Gulf Coast of Alabama. They don't have a clue where they are. I mean, right. they're just, they're, they're on vacation. They're just care, carefree, lucky, and, you know, they don't, have a reason to know where they are because what are they going to do if they want to go somewhere? Hey Siri or Uber or whatever yep. application they use to, to get their information. I mean, and some of us are totally geographically challenged. I mean, I am horribly geographically challenged. Like if you're going to tell me how to get somewhere, please don't use words like East and West. Like I'm not that person. And I just found out recently that Alaska is not an island near Hawaii. Like when you look at a map, like who does that to a little kid? Right? Yes, I'm joking. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not really joking. But nonetheless, people, they just, and, and it's worse now. People just don't know where they are, right? Because they're not paying attention. If you're in the passenger seat, you're looking at your phone, like, all of a sudden, God forbid, you get in a car accident. Where are you? I have no oh, idea. And I travel when I'm on the road. I travel a ton. Half the time, I don't even know what state I'm in. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the time, state of confusion. But <laughs> it's I don't even know what state I'm in, let alone what highway I'm on or what location I'm at. So, yeah, all these tools. Like, I'm wicked excited. Like, I'm so excited to be able to use my platform and and I'm even more excited that you decided to dust off your podcast and, and you're going to be doing similar, you know, I may have yeah. strong armed you a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, you did say, you know, I'm traveling down there if you don't do it. And yeah. I'll yeah. tell you 2020 derailed my, you know, I'm lucky that I've got this new job and, and living in paradise, but 2020 derailed my whole plan of podcasting and getting this information out. It's so. okay. It's okay. We all got grace for 2020. Like there is no, <laughs> there are no rules. Like, you know, and I think, I think there was a meme out there that says it, it says, don't anybody claim 2021 is their year. Like just walk right. in slowly. Don't touch anything. <laughs> don't. See, see what we're dealing with. Yeah. Like, let's just get through the actual, you know, New Year's Eve and, and see what it brings. Let's, let's not have too many high expectations. <laughs> That's right. So let's go back to the, the mental health aspects of new technology and 911. So you talked about, and, and we all do it, if you're a dispatcher, you, you, you're going to envision that white Christmas mm -hmm. tree with an angel and white Christmas light. I've experienced it, and I know you have, where you get a call and the 
the caller is describing this horrendous incident that has occurred. And then, you know, the, the responders get there and then we follow up with the responders, those that are lucky enough to be able to do that. And they're like, oh, it was nothing. You know, they just yep. fell and sprained their ankle. And like, well, they told us that the foot was amputated and that there was blood everywhere. And so yeah, I, it was actually I, a ketchup packet that was right. in the back seat from the McDonald's, whatever. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I see the this technology that's coming in, you know, whether it be video or sensors or, or whatever it may be, that we can get factual, actionable data mm-hmm. versus depending on somebody's perception of what has occurred. Yep. And so, I, you know, I, I was an early adopter of a, a, a video platform at my previous agency. And while we were a small agency and didn't get a ton of video incoming, uh, something that we did realize early on was in talking to the dispatchers that were utilizing it. And we left it up to the individual dispatcher. It wasn't forced on them. Uh, It was just a tool they could use was that they enjoyed and they felt less stress and less anxiety because they could actually see what was going on versus having to pull it out of somebody that was screaming because you know they're just that personality type and they can't deal with any trauma or whatever they're seeing and calling about i resemble that remark (laughs) (laughs) so you know i i I may have a little different mindset now mental health issues are real I, i you know do not discount that at all but i really think that as we dive off into this this new technology and new data coming into the PSAP that I I think we have the potential to see a lot less anxiety and and, and a lot less uh, emotional uh, pitfalls or emotional negativity response to some of the things we're dealing with. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I I agree to an extent, like I agree almost a hundred percent. I think, and I, and I know that you would say this as well is I think first we need to do it right. Like we have to do this right. Like hundred percent. We did not do things right when we first started off as as baby dispatchers. Why? Because we didn't know. Like, like you just didn't know. You, you knew that police and fire and EMS were going to see stuff. And it was like, let's focus all the mental health stuff on there. But in true dispatch fashion, they, they weren't part of that. And, you know, we're now fighting, kicking and screaming our way to say, hey, look, we, we're struggling too. And I think, I think we are seeing big strides made in that area. I know four years ago when I started, it wasn't like that. And and I know that there are a handful of us that are really making a lot of noise about the mental health aspect of it and sharing our stories and, and making sure that that they're included in understanding that. So that's first of all. Second of all, um, I think we fear what we don't know. So I think folks are assuming that Every video they get is going to be this horrible massacre, and that is not going to be the case. I I think back to um, the Boston Marathon bombing. Obviously, that is an incident very close to my heart. I am from Massachusetts. The bombing happened on my birthday. Uh, we were just getting ready to go determine where we were going to go eat, and my best friend was was here from out of town, and he said something just happened at the marathon. Um, And the irony was I was supposed to be working for the Department of Fire Service at the marathon that year, Um, but it was my birthday. So I decided to just celebrate instead. And and so there's all those things, right? Right. And 
one of the things that I just remember when we've heard folks speak about it or, you know, watching the footage or, you know, the news things or the documentaries um, is they wanted all of the pictures and videos from the finish line. It didn't matter like what you were filming, just send us all of the pictures and the videos. And they had to go to like one email address or something. Imagine, and that's how they found these two knuckleheads. Like there's no other way to put it, but that, that's how they found them because they literally pieced together pieces like, okay, this is over here. We see this guy. Oh, he's got a backpack over here. He doesn't over here. And then they were, once they got all that information, once they set up a way to receive it, they were able to kind of zero in on it. And, and I just fast forward to, to today and beyond um, is that if this, if society just knew that when God forbid something like that happened, like Nashville, right? We, we know that they just had their major incident and they're all in our thoughts and prayers. Um, but if the people that were in that vicinity just knew, like, I have to get whatever's on my phone, I have to get it to them because maybe I was taking a selfie. Maybe I was, you know, videotaping a TikTok video or whatever. I think people think that folks are just nonchalantly videotaping these horrible incidents when in fact, no, we're just a society that takes pictures and videos for, for whatever reason. But imagine a society where they know that something really bad just happened. I need to text this to 911. And even if I don't say anything else, it's like, here's, here's some video of, of the area. And I think the third component of it is we don't have to see it all. And I say we, I always say we as, as in if I'm still in the dispatch center, because my heart will always be in that chair, um, is we don't have to see it. The, the telecommunicator doesn't always have to see it. When you have good leadership that says, all right, like you, you just said, the technology was there. You can use it if you want versus I'm going to force you to look at stuff. That's going back to, we have to do it right, but we also have to check up on them. I know that a lot of folks have quality assurance programs in place, uh, but I also know, <laughs> myself included, uh, I, I was behind on my QA a lot. Why? Be, first and foremost, it's not fun. I don't want to, I don't want to listen to these calls. And furthermore, I don't want to tell my people that they made mistakes. So it's not fun. Right. So whatever the reason, number two, I'm busy. I'm crazy busy. Um, and I'm behind going forward. You can't be behind. You cannot see that your telecommunicator saw something that was traumatic six months later and go back and be like, oh, hey, I just caught up on my QA and, and six months ago, you had a really bad call. You want to talk about it? How are you feeling? Right. It loses its effect. Yep. So if we can do it right, make sure our quality assurance is in place and let our folks know, like give them an assurance. Nobody's sat down with them and said, all right, hey, look, think about it this way. How many horribly tragic calls, not for them to go back down memory lane, but how many horribly tragic calls have you had in your career? And now think about those calls in a way of, is there pictures or videos that may have been beneficial to be associated with that? Chances are no. It's just like text to 911. Everybody was freaking out over text to 911. If you have text to 911 in your center, think about how your folks were freaking out because it was unknown and think about how many text to 911 calls you actually get. Minimal. Yep. Right? So there's a lot. There's there's a lot we need to unpack, but we just got to do it right. 
Yeah, that's that's a great summary, Tracy, and I, and I appreciate your input and your perspective on that. Uh, you know, uh, one one of the challenges I see that we face, and uh, we'll we'll wrap this up here shortly, but uh, one of the challenges I see that we face as an industry is that is, is getting this information down to the dispatcher level. Yep. Uh, you know, because uh, it, it, you know, we, we're just going to be real for a minute. The the career of a lot of PSAP managers is we're what we're 30 40 years into 911 so we're in our stereotypical comment we're in the second generation of 911 we'll say and so yep. these are the people that came in if if they're fulfilling a career these are the ones that came in with wireless phase one and you know wireless phase two and now Tracy and all her shenanigans with Rapid SOS, and we just don't want anything <laughs> to do with, with Rapid SOS and texting. And now you're talking about video and sensors, and you know I'm just done. And, and m one of my big concerns is is as an industry whole, is how do we as thought leaders get that down to the dispatcher level? And you know it, it's probably a slippery slope uh, to some extent because those are, are going to be taking that up the chain instead of down the chain. Uh, and, and it's not going to make it to some places, but I just have this vision that if I, no matter where I travel, that I should be able to call 911 or activate the 911 system and get the same level of service across the nation. Yep. And, and as it sits today, it just can't be done. And, and that, for some reason, that just bothers me that, that we have this, this, uh, opportunity to rapidly enhance the 911 system and, and i'm really afraid that that we're going to be sitting here in 2029 or 2030 having these same conversations and, and i want to change that and i and i just you know i i hope i i hope not like like i truly hope not because if you think about it you know when i was talking about my start as a baby dispatcher that was in 1996 and about four years after that, so about 2000, was when we started talking about NG911, Next Generation 911. And uh, yeah, we're just now getting below the surface of the tip of the iceberg, right? Because when yep. people think about NG911, they think about the first thing they think about is text to 911, then pictures and videos, and then retirement, like you said. Um, as you were speaking, I thought you were going to kind of allude to the fact that the folks that have been in leadership positions for a really, really long time. They have done their diligence. They've, they've worked hard. They've got us to where we are. But I think the hard truth is sometimes um, you have to ask yourself, is it time for me to step aside and, exactly. and help someone step up? Because maybe you don't want to know about the new technology. Maybe it's just not in your, your you know, area of expertise or you don't feel comfortable. I did not feel comfortable with technology. Again, there's irony. I was geographically challenged and I hated technology. And I worked for one of the biggest technology companies that changed location. Like that, that's funny stuff right there. Um, but whenever I went to conferences, I was sitting in the how to sing Kumbaya in your 911 center, how to get everybody to love each other in the 911 center versus going in and learning those hard things, right? So right. I definitely think 
folks need to look inward and say, cause I I've had dispatchers. I, I police Facebook a lot. I still do that in kind of my sponsorship role with, with rapid SOS is whenever I see an opportunity to educate folks on the rapid SOS technology, I will do it in a second because there's misunderstandings out there. And then what I see is these folks that are like the kid that doesn't have the ice cream cone watching the kid that does. And it's like, boy, I'd really like an ice cream cone. And it's like, yeah, but it's free. You can just get it. Well, my boss won't let us. What? After 25 years in public safety, Tracy Eldridge has recently launched her own company and podcast, On Scene First. All aspects of On Scene First focus on educating public safety professionals on must-have technology tools, mental health resources, and people-oriented consulting and training to help save lives on both sides of the call. So I remember when I had first started talking to folks about the rapid SOS technology, I had some folks that would, you know, stand in the back of the room with their arms folded. And and you would have thought that I was trying to steal their firstborn child versus provide free technology that could actually save lives. And there's two particular incidents that, that I just want to make reference to. And, and these were leaders that you know, they, they claim to be thought-provoking, forward-thinking leaders when, in fact, they, they weren't being receptive to this new technology that ultimately proved to be pretty amazing. Um, and in one scenario, the, the leader in the back of the room, arms folded, is like, well, I see that you can get an updated location every few seconds. However, can you see how fast they're going? And I'm like, uh no, but I can see, um, you know, exactly where they are and, and what direction they're traveling in. He's like, well, how do I know if they're going fast or slow? And, and I may have done this big spaces, fast, <laughs> little spaces, slow. <laughs> like in, in my mind, I'm thinking like, we just like identify the precise location of the caller. And now you, you, you're not going to implement it because we can't show you the speed limit. And then another gentleman um, was pretty adamant about with the query view that he didn't want to query um, if only four out of 10 locations came back. And, and we know that in the beginning, that's you know, that was a challenge because not all the devices were updated. But I remember him saying to me, I'm going to have a hard time getting my folks to query every call if, you know, only four out of 10 locations come back. And, and the first thing I thought of was Denise Amberly, Chanel Anderson, Kyle Plush, and Laura Levis, and how all four of those folks would have given anything to have been the four out of 10 locations that were delivered. And, you know, I think sometimes folks want to prove that they know stuff and that they, you know, that you can't tell them anything. I want leaders to take from this, like, be, just be a little bit more open to hear right. about the new technology that's out there and, and do it right and, and keep your folks involved. Don't just dump it on their lap and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. Let them help you roll it out in the right way. Yeah, I, I think that. A lot of times in this industry, we get, I probably won't say this right, but analysis paralysis. <laughs> we I love uh, that. <laughs> we, we try to analyze everything and solve all of the problems before we ever implement a, a potential solution. And yep. I, I've just always been one that will, you know, let's start with a, pro, uh, uh, a product and then we'll refine it during true work because nothing's going to test something like in the 911 
yeah. environment. And I, and I call I call that the but what if. Like, let's get rid of if and buts, because if and buts were beer and nuts, we'd all have a happy day. But <laughs> think about how many times you say these words when you're looking, but what if, but what if, but what if? And and when you say but what if, like my question is, yeah, we could but what if things all day long. But what if it saved just one life? One life. That's all the that matters. Just one. Just one. That's it. That's it. Well, That's Tracy, to do. I am just honored to have you on my show. And, and I, I truly appreciate the little kick in the rear you gave me to, to get this back going. Uh, you know, uh, honored to have you as our, our first guest back on our relaunch, I guess, if you will, uh, Public Safety Technology Podcast. And I just certainly appreciate your time. And uh, if you will, to close, just let everybody know how they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Dan, for having me. I always love our chats. Um, hopefully, APCO and Nina will accept our session that we want to do together. So that's a, that, that's a shameless plug out there. We have a, hint, a really hint, good hint session. For any, <laughs> hint, hint for anybody listening. That's on this <laughs> wink, wink. It's going to be wicked awesome. <laughs> um, but for those that are looking for me, you can visit onscenefirst.com. Sign up for my newsletter. Um, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge. And, and jump on the website and check out the podcast. I, I know that it's in the beginning stages. I think I'll be rolling out episode nine, eight or nine, um, but very excited to, to see where this goes. And I'm, I'm glad too that I gave you the kick in the butt. And I don't know if that was a, a joke because I can't kick anything right now, but <laughs> um, I'm glad that you, that you did this. You know, a lot of folks say, you know, why would you encourage other podcasters? Like, isn't that what you're doing? And my thought process is yes, yes. I will encourage every podcaster because we need to get all of this information out to everybody in any way possible. So thank you well, for having I, me. I appreciate you. Thank you. And, and just as a, a side note and uh, for future preparation for anybody listening, uh, I've already got one confirmed other guest and the two or three more I'm waiting on confirmation. So you did it. Yay. I love that. All right. Thank you, Tracy. Have a blessed day. You're welcome, my friend. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Public Safety Technology. I am your host, Dan Wright. You can find me on LinkedIn at Dan H. Wright. You can also visit my website, www.danhwright.com, to see all the services we offer. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll share our content and our podcast, and we hope to see you next time. Stay safe.